Welcome back to the Dewhawk Dozen podcast. My name is Neil Bingham. And I'm Rachel Mosier. And this is our monthly podcast dedicated to our graduates of the last decade. 12 months, 12 great Dewhawks, and countless stories to tell. Today's guest is 2018 grad Brenda Gomez Solis. Let's do this. Awesome. Brenda, thank you so much for joining us today. How's everything going? It's going good. How are you guys? Doing, doing well. I know our listeners can't see it, but it looks like, I, I know what, you're not, but it looks like you're sitting outside on a lovely warm campus. How's the weather out by you today? It's amazing. It's very hot outside. Very hot. <laughs> yeah, it's a, little, it's a little cloudy here. It's not too bad. Yeah. Good old Dubuque. <laughs> <laughs> Never know what you're going to get here. Yeah. Oh, I know. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brenda, last month we had a chance to talk with Jake Heidenreich, um, and we were really excited to have you as our guest this month. Your nominator believed you're truly a reflective thinker, and our Young Alumni Advisory Board has agreed based on what you've done during your time at Loris and beyond. Your work as a multicultural admissions counselor and past work as Hispanic outreach specialist can teach so many so much. We would love to talk to you about some of your experiences and lessons you learned along the way. But first and foremost, tell us a little bit about what you've been doing since you've graduated. Yeah, so I graduated in December of 2018. Almost, it's crazy to think that it's been almost four years since I was, you know, a undergrad student at Loris, but um, over the past three and a half-ish years, I've been in higher education um, right after Loris, literally less than a month after my graduation, I started working at UW-Platteville as pre-college coordinator, and then I jumped six months later into a different position there as Hispanic Outreach Specialist. Um, I was there for about a year and a half within that second position, and then after that, I thought it was time to come back home to Georgia. So now I'm here in Georgia working at Georgia Southern University as a multicultural admissions counselor. Um, you know, just helping Hispanic and Latinx students along the way. So it's been pretty good so far. I can't complain. It's great. I mean, we haven't really been able to catch up, quite frankly. I don't think since you were on, uh, in the admission office as one of our amazing student interns. So it's lovely to see you again. Um, did you know at that time that the higher ed course is what you wanted to stay in? Because it's been pretty cool to see, you know, your progression on LinkedIn or Facebook going from, from school to school, staying on that higher ed route. Yeah, so um, I didn't know that I would be staying in higher ed this long. To be honest, higher ed has never been like my end goal. Um, and at this point in time, I still don't think it is, but um, I really like the work that I do within higher ed, um, which is why I don't mind doing what I'm doing. Um, when I first started my internship with Loris um, in the admissions and enrollment office, I actually um, started at one because like we really had no Spanish speakers there and the Hispanic um, Latinx student population was and still is immensely growing, which is amazing to still see these days. Um, so that's one of the main reasons why I looked into the internship there. Um, and 
still even to this day, you know, there's a lot of Hispanic Latino students that aren't aware of what the admissions process is like. So um, being able to do this right now, even though it's not my end goal, is helping to support get to my end goal, which is essentially working out in the communities um, with a nonprofit, hopefully um, around the area or nearby that helps low-income families. That's just very, very honorable. I think that's, you know, a common thread that we've seen is not only outreach to the community, working with college recruitment, but um, just seeing how much you are engaged with a lot of different diverse uh, populations and a real focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. What have you seen as one of those common threads between those different positions and the different geographic locations you've been? Yeah, I think, um, you know, being that I lived here before and then moved to the Midwest and then came back eight years later, um, a lot of the things that we see or that I see nowadays are still the same um, in both locations. So um, predominantly white locations, um, a little bit, little to nothing really, um, awareness of the resources for the um, populations that I'm inclined and passionate to work with. So low-income populations, I strive and really stick to Hispanic populations, but I think that's just because like it comes from the heart and I'm really passionate about my own population. Um, I still do, you know, learn and work and, and like to see what, what's going on with other populations, but I have noticed that a lot of the time I do stick to seeing what's going on with the Hispanic population, what do they need, what resources are available, so um, just seeing a lack of, um, I would say, a lack of what is out there like there are no lists there is no place for people to go on like let's say online to find like what's available it's and and really for that population and for a lot of low-income populations it's word of mouth so learning how to get the word around you i remember you as a student um during our time at loris and i remember the passion he had for the IPO office and different organizations. Um, now the IPO office is called Center for Inclusion and Advocacy. But um, what your passion is clearly shown through your work now. What keeps you passionate about your work and um, just keep moving forward every day? Oh my gosh, I could say a million things. <laughs> um, but really just being able to either see the smile on people's faces when they come to visit here, um, or when I, you know, talk to them over the phone, answer questions, um, just being able to hear that happiness within them, because they finally found someone that can answer their questions, and whether it be in a language they understand, or um, a lot of people say dumb it down, but to me, you're not dumbing it down, you're just letting them know you know, the information that they otherwise wouldn't be aware of and, and knowledgeable on. So just providing that um, institutional knowledge that, you know, a lot of people out there not necessarily lack, but just aren't aware of. Yeah. When we live in it every day, when we're here at Loris, when you're at Georgia Southern, um, we think, oh, wow, how do you not know this? But really, like we live in it every day. So um, people just need to be um, kept in the loop a little bit and you do a great job of doing that. Yes. Thank you. 
And I even remember back to when you were doing asset mapping with Dr. Kate McCarthy Gilmore for Spanish. And uh, when you first started at UW Platteville um, with the Hispanic Outreach Office, you had even said that you wanted to continue to be an aide uh, in helping students learn about great opportunities that there are. So you've seen that, that drive and that passion come through and just wanting to help others. What are some of the examples that stick out to you through your professional career that remind you like this moment reminds me of why I do this? It really stuck out to you as a shining example of helping others. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. So I actually get that a lot, especially being in admissions right now. You know, it's obviously a passion of mine to get students through um, to where they're going to be successful, whether it's, you know, here at Georgia Southern or whether I can talk to them about, you know, my experience at Loris as an undergraduate student or even um, see what other opportunities there are for them at technical colleges around the area or um, even in other states sometimes where they're going to be able to get more help um, is really is really fulfilling to me um, even if they don't end up coming to Georgia Southern University which is where I'm at as long as they go somewhere and become successful that's all that matters to me and that will always be one of the only things that matters to me um, obviously, yes, right? I, I worked for Georgia Southern. Um, I worked for UW Platteville and I worked from for Loris as an intern. And I do always want to see them be where I'm at. But obviously, I do understand that that's not always going to be the case. And as long as students and families are successful, that's that's all that makes, that's all that I need to make my heart happy. And I think that, you know, speaks true to at least what I've seen on from what you do from what Loris does is that we often say our job isn't to try to trick you into going somewhere or try to convince you that you should be going somewhere it's to help you find that right fit and I think that's what makes uh schools like Georgia Southern and Laura so so special is that it really is just about helping people find the right fit and being good stewards of what is best for others not some sort of intrinsic motivation or trying to hit a number or hit a metric just mm -hmm. to hit it so how how large is Georgia Southern Oh my gosh, Georgia Southern is huge. <laughs> um, we have three campuses. The We have two main campuses, which I work at the main, main one, which is Statesboro. Here we have approximately 19,000 students. Um, then we have our Savannah Armstrong campus located in Savannah, Georgia, with approximately 5,600 students. And lastly, we have our Liberty campus located in Hinesville, Georgia, with about 520 students, um, but only Savannah, Armstrong, and Statesboro are our um, residential campuses. Okay. Do you see any kind of similarities, even though the scale isn't really um, comparable, but do you see any similarities between Georgia, Southern, and Loris? Um, well, one of the similarities that I do see is that obviously, like, people are nice, um, people are very nice around here and whoever you ask for help, like they're going to help you. Being that it is such a big campus though, like you literally could ask a student for help here and, and they'll know where to point you to. Um, I've been here for a year and I still don't know all my buildings and stuff because it is such a huge campus. So even I have to ask for help um, at times, but just like the community, obviously here, it, to me, it doesn't seem like it's that tight knit because I didn't go to college here. Like, you know, within my office, we are very tight knit. So that gives me kind of like the same feeling of when I was at Loris, but outside of like the admissions office, I know that a lot of people know a lot of other people. So um, 
it is a small town, even though we have a population of approximately like 31,000, if not more people. Um, but I do see some similarities here and there, not 100% what Loris is like, obviously with the numbers, but definitely a lot of similarities. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about is, you know, clearly you have a lot of drive for your mission-driven work and you found a lot of success there and you can hear the passion, how you talk about it, but you also worked at Diamond Joe Casino while you were in college. So um, your work ethic is nothing new and you've been able to find success in areas where you do have the passion in areas where you are working to, you know, whether it's to just have some extra spending money or whatever the case may be. What did you learn from working off campus during your college experience? Oh, wow. That's a heavy and loaded question there. <laughs> um, I would say I really learned how to be myself outside of university walls. You know, at Loris, it was easy to, um, to be myself, not only with my friend group, but also with professors and, and other staff at the campus. Um, but, you know, um, it, it's, it's one thing being a student and then it's another thing being a whole professional outside of like the college world. So I learned a lot of, you know, time management. I learned that in college, but even more so having that job outside of the college um, area of my life and just a lot of other things in terms of like getting to know people that I wouldn't normally talk to um what was really great and like you said I, I do have a very strong work ethic and I like to think that myself too um but it's just nice to be able to learn out in the real world like they say um so yeah that's awesome um so you lived in Dubuque and then you worked in Wisconsin a little bit and then you were in the small town of Luxembourg for a, <laughs> a minute um and then you moved back to Georgia. Uh, how have you found the city that you're living in change your line of work? Um, well, <laughs> I was commuting for college, you know, like 30, 40 minutes um, from Dyersville and then Luxembourg. And I was commuting to work from Luxembourg to Platteville, which is about an hour-ish. Yes. And now I'm commuting still for work about 35, 40 minutes. Um, so... I don't know if it's me. I think I just like being on the road. Um, but it, it's been pretty easy for me to navigate and just um, get used to like the same pattern, I guess. I, I'm, I feel like I'm stuck in a rut everywhere I go. It's like just commuting, commuting, commuting. But um, it's definitely been helpful. It's sometimes nice to have that time to either decompress or just think mm -hmm. about things or get your thoughts together, even on the ride to work or on the ride from work. But that kind of goes along with what you were saying about uh, separation from your job and your um, uh, time at Loris. Like uh, you learn and you can decompress in the car. And I, I know I find stress relief in driving. <laughs> oh yes, I go crazy with music. I jam out. I'm um, I'm an artist in my car. Um, whether people. <laughs> better not and then I'm a whole different person outside of my car so <laughs> it's like your favorite windows down you know just flying down the highway song you listen to at full volume yes um right now it's a lot of bad bunny I'm not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> yep um but I mean 
being from Georgia and being that I grew up, you know, in the rural South, I, I listened to a lot of country as well. Not as much as I used to before I moved to Iowa and found all these Colombian friends in Dubuque who really made me stick to reggaeton, but um, a little bit of both a lot of the time, a little bit more reggaeton than anything, though. Oh, but this is a great segue into our next little um, segment of this. And we didn't really prep you for this part. Um, we have a dozen questions for our Duhawk dozen, where we asked our guests 12 rapid fire questions and you give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready for it? I'm scared, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, no reason to be scared. Where was your last vacation? To Iowa. <laughs> Where, what was your first job ever? Uh, UW Platteville pre-college coordinator. Actually, no, that's professional. Ever, my first job ever, I was working in the fields here in Georgia at the age of 11. Oh, wow. Is that, is your bed made right now? Yes. What is your go-to karaoke song? Uh, Tomorrow by Chris Young. What movie or show do you quote the most? I don't really quote that many shows, but recently I've been saying cool, cool, cool a lot. And I just found out yesterday it's from a really hot show on TV right now. I don't know the name. Too. I have no idea. I don't know either. <laughs> I think it's like community or something like that. The house, maybe something like that. Oh, huh. what was the last TV series you binged watched? The Vampire Diaries. Are you a morning person or night owl? Night owl. What is your go-to lazy dinner? Um, ramen noodles. Something's never changed from college. <laughs> <laughs> Who is one of your heroes? Um, Kate McCarthy Gilmore. Uh -huh. What age has been your favorite so far? Ooh, what age? Like time-wise? Yep. College years, for sure. Awesome. Purple or gold? Gold, 100%. <laughs> what is your favorite spot on Loris College campus? The used to be IPO, now called the center. See, they weren't that bad. I haven't, Any questions? <laughs> I have not been in the space, but it's, I see the pictures and I just can't imagine it not being my favorite space still. It's incredible up there. I highly recommend next time you're able to make it back to the to Dubuque. I mean, it's gorgeous. What what they've done up there is just incredible. I know when they were tearing down the walls, that was when I was first starting or early summer last year. Mm -hmm. And we were like, oh, what's Sergio doing with all these colors? <laughs> yeah. Oh my and gosh. When they tore down the walls, I saw it on Facebook and a post that Sergio posted. And I honestly, to God cried because that space was such a home and a safe space for me on campus and I don't know if y'all remember the polls that used to be in there I don't know if they're still in there I highly doubt it but we used to hug those polls and cry our eyes and our hearts out when something went wrong or like you know, when the whole DACA situation was happening, that was our space. And so I cried when I saw that picture Sergio posted of 
it being torn down to to do the renovations. It really, I mean, it's incredible. I know that uh, Sergio, Cindy, Charnay, all up there do incredible events. They host like a Christmas tree decorating. They host a lot of, um, you and know, speakers different speakers and, and, and meals. And it's really, really cool events, to see. Yeah. yeah. Um, so hopefully you can get a chance to get up there and, and see what they've done up there. Cause it, it really is awesome. It's really open. It's inviting. It's welcoming. It's awesome. But I totally get it when you yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. um, dance marathon was a big part of my life. I've, that whole office went with the renovations to make a bigger space for the um, CIA office. So it's always sad to see something change from what we had as students, but what the students have now is just incredible. Yeah, it's, it's definitely good to see the the change in momentum, I would say, because obviously college was not the same as it is now. You know, after COVID, everything changed. And it's good to see that our institutions are working through it to get to be what students need at this time. Yeah, absolutely. Can you give the listeners at home a little more insight to your Loris experience and how that prepared you for life after college? Oh my gosh, yes. So honestly, when I graduated high school here in Georgia and I moved to Iowa, I never thought I was going to go to college. College was nothing but a dream, (laughs) as they say. Um, and I had applied to Loris, Clark, and UD, um, before I moved out to Iowa, but I, again, really never thought I was gonna end up going, um, and when I got to Iowa, I worked that first semester, and then I visited Loris for the first time, and actually met up with Brad, um, professor in uh, social work. Brad Kavanaugh. Yes, Kavanaugh. I couldn't remember his last name. Um, so I met with him and he gave me a whole spiel on, you know, the social work route. Cause when I first was starting, that was what I was interested in. And soon thereafter, I met Cindy and I got a tour of Loris and I fell in love with the campus and how small and tight knit it seemed to be. I just felt at home that first time. So that's where I ended up setting my heart and that's where I ended up going. But at Loris, even though I was far away from home, I had a family and I felt it from the beginning. Um, you know, I was, I, was, I wanna say I was very active as a student there. Um, you know, I was part of Lisa when it was a thing. Um, I tried with some friends to start LULAC, which we, I, I don't want to say we failed at because LULAC is obviously a thing now. We didn't do a very good job because we really d- didn't know what we were doing. And at that point in time, you know, Sergio was really busy and other people that we could go to were really busy. Um, but just knowing that there are people there that I could go to is great. Um, and having them still there, some anyways, is great to know. Um, But as a student, I I really loved life there because I was living at home with my fiance in Dyersville at that time, and he was working night shift, so I would stay on campus in the cultural programs office, now the center, um, up until like 9, 10 at night with my friends. Um, So just having that home away from home was really great, and I will never, ever forget my time at Loris. And in the future, if I ever have kids, I will definitely try to push them to go to Loris. Um, but obviously, it's a decision that 
they will have to make if I do end up having kids. Um, but just, I can never say enough about Loris because it is a place that is very near and dear to my heart. And it's a place that not only made me who I am, but brought about things in my life that I would have never thought I would have, such as an education that got me, you know, the jobs that I've been in in the past and that I'm in now. So, And, you know, I've heard you talk often about a lot of the different people that had a huge influence on your experience at Loris from Dr. Kate McCarthy Gilmore, who when we were coming up with the questions, I was like, I don't know for sure if she'll come up, but now it's become the Dr. Kate McCarthy Gilmore hour, which I'm all about. <laughs> um, uh, and then I know that you've shared multiple times your your thanks and appreciation for the Valder family, you know, the late Mike Valder and his wife, Janet, um, for all of their work and their help in your college experience. Um, and now just hearing you talk more about Sergio and Cindy and your friends who were students from Columbia and all of these influential people. In addition to the spaces, the people, and the community at large, what are some of those things that you took with you now that you're on that flip side and you're becoming one of those people, the students, you know, you're a part of that community for future students. What are some of those lessons that you took away from those incredibly influential people for your professional world now? Oh my gosh. I think one of the biggest things that I learned while being at Loris was being open. And I want to say that I was already open enough before getting to Loris in terms of you know, the things I believe in, listening to people's opinions and stuff like that. But Loris definitely helped me become more active and proactive in terms of learning from other people, listening to their opinions and not judging them for having those opinions, um, which is very helpful even still after, you know, my undergraduate years um, and definitely that much more being a professional. Um, working in an institution like Georgia Southern. Um, but one of the biggest things and biggest takeaways that I got at Loris is just to be there for people. You never know who's going to need a shoulder to lean on. Um, and although, you know, we're 100% different most of the time, that doesn't mean that that person doesn't need help or that that person may not be the one that's there when you need help. So just being open and being vulnerable really um, is one of the biggest things that I learned. And knowing that, you know, regardless of where you go in life, there will always be someone there that will be there for you. And it's kind of wild to think about. I know often people talk about, you know, especially when they go into education or into higher ed, when you're younger, you look up to those professionals and you're like, Oh, they've got it together. They, you know, they've got their whole lives in order and you know, they're, they're full on adults and professionals. And now to see yourself in that role, do you kind of have a newfound appreciation for those, those people when you were growing up, looking up to them, like, Oh, okay. They, they're still growing up and they're, they're still coming to it. Yes, most definitely. I, I remember I used to be that, that student, and, and I, I'm going to talk about Dr. Kate McCarthy Gilmore because she was the one person that I was, I would always look at and be like, she just has such a perfect life. Like I could never, <laughs> but after getting to know her on a personal level, like obviously no one's life is perfect, right? Um, you know, she she's a real person outside of the institution and we all are, um, but just being able to 
learn and appreciate the differences that we all have is really nice and great. Um, I just can't say enough about her and, and you know, everybody, as, as you both know, um, I had a lot of support there and I will never, never, ever forget that. Awesome. I know. Shout out McG. <laughs> yes. Love her. You also were a peer assistant with Professor Dar or Dr. Dar. And you were an intern in the admission office, like Neil's been saying. He's been talking up that the whole time. <laughs> and I know you were pivotal, pivotal in so many different areas on campus. What were some of the jobs that you held on campus that helped you in a lot in your current line of work? Oh my gosh, I would definitely say being a peer success mentor was one of the bigger positions that I held that helped me not only grow as a person and grow as a student, but also grow as a professional. You know, once I was in that role, I really had to set boundaries um, with the students that I was working with and mentoring. Um, and that essentially helped me realize what boundaries I needed to set in my personal life outside of work as well as like work-wise um and some of those I still I still have now so being a professional is is hard and sometimes it's hard to keep work life and home life separate um so that's one of the things that I really learned being in college and being a peer success mentor and not only that, but even through my internship in the admissions and enrollment office, I learned how to be a professional, especially, you know, when I was sitting there and we would have people walk in, um, you know, greeting them and even going to the fair, to the college fairs with um, some of the representatives, um, college representatives at Loris was, was definitely eye-opening and, and helpful in learning how to be uh, 100% professional because, you know, there's always going to be times where you're playful, you're joking around, but there's also a time where, hey, it's, it's time to work. I can definitely see where being a um, peer assistant, and Neil, I know you were one, but I, it always scared me because I was like, <laughs> I just want to help people all the time. And um, that would take away from my studies. So I commend you both for doing that. And um, Neil and I are success coordinators for incoming students and this summer we've got to meet all of them during orientation and be um, communicating with them so it's kind of a, a fun way to get involved with the students and I um, kind of similar to what you did but um, not actually in the classroom so we're, yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. One other realm that I feel like kind of gets overlooked is you know often people talk about professional and you know they're social and all that stuff I really do feel like being an alum and coming back to an institution is also a very different, um, a different hat to wear, you know, again, shout out McGee talking about spatial theory. When you come into a room as an alumni and you're like speaking to students, it really is like students are looking up to you and you're the one who's, you know, crossed the finish line. You've made it to the other side. And you came back for a LULAC event to talk about Latinx immigration experience. Um, and it was one of your first experiences, if not your first experience coming back as an alumni, uh, Asia Singleton had written an article about it and had quoted you saying that you really hope that people would become more aware of the situations going on and that they would be open to learning more about it. Since then, how have you been able to take those conversations, take those opportunities, and really share them with the different communities you've been a part of? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, back at that, back in that time, um, when I went back to, to give, to give, you know, my thoughts and, and have people learn a little bit about, you know, what I thought when it came down to being vulnerable and, and learning a bit more about the immigration access and stuff like that. It was hard because I love to share my story, but I also know and understand that sometimes there are going to be people that aren't 100% knowledgeable about what this means and stuff like that. So even before that talk and after that talk, I was already working on how can I grant people knowledge that is going to help them not only have that knowledge, but also potentially become allies for this specific community. Um, I did provide um, a how to be a DACA ally training at UW Platteville. And I also provided it a little bit differently, right, because of the demographics um, here at Georgia Southern um, at the institution, um, as well as gave a presentation at a um, regional conference here in Georgia in November um, with that same topic in mind, but also, again, making it a bit different based on the audiences that I had. Um, and as I mentioned before, I am very passionate about you know, the undocumented community being that I am undocumented and that I have DACA. Um, I'm not going to say I'm never scared to share that, you know, I'm undocumented because technically I'm documented, but not 100% documented to the point I would wish. Um, but just being able to hold spaces for people that, you know, are willing to learn what it is like living um, as an undocumented person, but also teaching them the differences between who's undocumented, who's not, um, what some of the terms mean and stuff like that um, is, is definitely one of the things that I have done within that aspect of my life. And it does seem like outside of just that article, not just, outside of that article with Asia, um, one of the other cool articles we found was from Univision and it was kind of, yeah, to brush up my Spanish skills a little bit, but, um, it was interesting seeing you share your story. How did that come about? Yeah. So <laughs> I really don't know how it came about. Um, I know that Sergio had been in, um, in the works with, uh, Univision, not only him, I'm sure there were more, more people at the university or at the college that, um, that were in talks with Univision, but why I got chosen, I don't know. Um, I'm grateful that I was chosen because uh, I got to share my story and not only to the Loris community, but really nationwide, right? Because Univision yeah. is a nationwide um, and probably even international um, TV um, space for, for Hispanic Latinos. And even outside of that, like, I know people that aren't Hispanic Latino that watch Univision. So um, it was definitely a great experience and something that, you know, thanks to Loris, I was able to do. Again, I don't know who, I don't know why, but the story is out there. So. <laughs> um, 
it was really cool to learn more about you and from that article and where your drive comes from. Did you ever envision yourself sharing your story like that when you started at Loris? I did not. Um, Like I said, initially I was, when I first got to Loris, I was scared. Um, Hence why my first semester was my worst semester in college. Um, I was scared to be vulnerable and let people know who I really was and you know, the things that I've been through in life that have affected me and the person that I am today. But slowly with the help of supporters and friends, I was able to learn to speak about it and become more open about, you know, who I am and why I am the way I am. It's probably because you were so comfortable with the space up in the CIA or the IPO. And we love our acronyms here at Loris College. (laughs) Um, But having that safe space and having um, like the ability to connect with others that are in the same situation as you. I think Loris does a great job fostering those relationships and communities within our community. Yeah, it definitely does. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been kind of mentioning it about LULAC. Um, you mentioned it at the beginning of our podcast saying that you kind of started it. Am I right? kind of tried to start it but it wasn't it wasn't 100% what we wanted it to be so we got to a point where we just stopped how do you um how do you feel with LULAC being very present on campus and being such a role model for other schools in Iowa it feels great honestly um it's nice to see familiar faces that are you know still still at Loris and that are being active and proactive within LULAC um and it's it's fulfilling in a way because although we did myself included with some other um friends and 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 students at Loris at the time tried to start it we we weren't 100% successful so seeing that it wasn't just dropped when we decided, okay, we're done, we're dropping it is great. Um, and, and it's it's really nice to see that it's it's active and students are not only learning themselves, but they're teaching as well within LULAC. And you know, I'm I'm curious as well because when I was on student senate my senior year too, it's it's sometimes looked at as like, well, okay, well we didn't quite accomplish what we wanted to. And so it's easy to look at that with a lot of frustration or disappointment, but at the same time, I think having the, the ability to be able to step back and say, we are not able to provide what is best for future generations of students. So we are not going to be stubborn enough to continue. Um, Huge commendation to all of you folks for being able to say like, this is not what, what the students will need. So we need to take a break and take, take a step back and, um, and to just let it let it run its natural course because who knows what would happen if you guys would kind of force the issue and and uh, tried to to revitalize it in a way that wasn't quite going to benefit the the future students. Um, for those of the listeners at home, do you mind just kind of giving a brief synopsis of what LULAC is, what LULAC stands for, and uh, just so that way you know people can continue looking into it and even possibly support LULAC, whether it's at Loris in their or in their communities. Yeah. So LULAC stands for League of United Latin American Citizens, um, and it's essentially 
a group of, I would say allies, but really it's a group of, um, you know, Latinx, Hispanic people that um, are fighting for different causes that affect um, the Latino communities. Um, there's chapters nationwide, um, and it's just a great organization that, um, that provides resources, help, knowledge to this specific community of people. Awesome. And one big thing, you know, we're talking a lot about our experiences and looking back on, on our time at Loris and Rachel and I often say, you know, it's a little daunting that, you know, in October, it's going to be our five-year reunion. <laughs> um, one thing I saw you post almost immediately following commencement was you shared the commencement video that uh, Loris had put together with the hashtag Duhawk Pride and Duhawk Forever. What are some of the ways that you stay connected with your Loris friends and family as an alum? Oh my gosh, it's, I try to stay connected with my friends 100% of the time. I'm not going to say I'm 100% connected because, you know, most of us are grownups and have lives outside of like the personal realm now. Um, and it is hard to sometimes make schedules correlate to where we can meet or talk or whatever the case may be. Um, but just being able to share and see um, and stay connected, whether it be through social media or, you know, going back to Iowa to visit sometimes whenever it's possible um, is something that I really strive to continue to do. Um, I don't know if there's more Duhawks in Georgia. Um, actually, I think there is one. I know Savannah Fowler um, was here somewhere um, at one point, and I think she's still here. Uh, but besides us two, I don't know if there's more, and I definitely would like to potentially see if there's more to do, you know, those regional meetups that I know are active in other places. Um, but like I said, Loris will always be something special to me. And if there's a chance to be more active as an alum and stuff, I would definitely be open to it and willing to see what opportunities there are. One thing that I think is pretty cool about more recently people getting very, very comfortable with the virtual realm is um, I think the farther out you get from wherever you live, like, it's just like, oh, they're, they both live in Georgia. They must be able to, to connect pretty easily. But I mean, like you could live in Georgia and live hours apart. <laughs> it's it's yeah. not like you're, you're neighbors because you live in Georgia together. Um, it'd be like, you know, oh, you live in Dubuque and Des Moines or Chicago and Springfield. Like you guys can meet up and it's, it's a little bit more difficult than that. So I commend you for for staying connected with those that you can, even if it's virtually. Yeah. So even back, um, looking back even more, um, on your graduation weekend in 2019, you'd posted, which Neil is great at finding these. <laughs> on May 18th, 2019, I walked across the stage and it became official. Loris College was my home away from home for the past four years and continu continues to be the place where I feel safe, supported and appreciated. Loris taught me so many things such as working harder for my goals and knowing there will always be a group of people to support me no matter what. And I think this whole, like everything you said there has been shown through this whole podcast. So that's pretty cool. Um, looking back on that, um, what kind of advice would you give to students? Yeah, I would definitely say find your support group because 
And when I say find your support group, I'm not saying just your friends, right? I'm talking about staff, faculty that worked at Loris or even that worked outside of Loris, you know, within the city of Dubuque, because those are going to be the people that you can go to one day in the future whenever you decide to go look for a job that will be able to write your recommendation letter or that will be able to, you know, assist you in personal things if something comes up. Um, those are going to be your support people even after you leave Loris College. Yeah, one, one thing that I think you and a lot of our, our other Duhawk dozens so far have had in common is that looking through social media to find just, you know, like things going on in your life, questions we can ask about, you all have these really profound, like <laughs> quotable, almost movie-esque experiences to share, whether it was Kevin O'Brien's um, Duhawk Day post from his you know tent in Mozambique or Nick sharing some of his anecdotal experiences Kelly Klein who shared just a really good nugget of wisdom to, to take home to just check in on your friends um and then to see this post from you from 2019 you know having no clue how things would transpire from there it's just it's just awesome to see just how um I feel like you know the the representatives that we have from our young alumni are just doing great things and are are sharing those stories really well and I think Loris has given us the ability to create these relationships and really has fostered us to know how to maintain them, even though some may fade out, but it's always cool to see two Duhawks meet up with each other and like hit it off and be able to talk about anything. Oh yeah. I, I would say it's, you know, Loris gave us a louder voice um, because obviously a lot of us come in with you know, voices and wanting to be heard and wanting to help these communities or, you know, do what we want to do. But Loris has been very great in allowing us and teaching us how it has to be done. So, you know, I came in with a voice. I was scared to use it. And Loris just made me have a louder voice and sharing, you know, my, my experiences, my knowledge, my lack of knowledge even and and it's it's been great i think to rachel to echo your point one pretty cool thing i've noticed about the duhawk connections that we have is that you can run into someone in the most random of places and start chatting like you haven't missed a beat i was we were doing family portraits on some trail in chicago and i looked up and i made eye contact with someone as they're getting closer and it was a 2017 classmate of ours matt Villano, who i don't think i've seen since graduation and we talked as if we had just walked out of Beckman. I mean, I mean, it's just, and Brenda, you know, like we had mentioned earlier, I don't think we've been able to chat since you graduated back in 2019. And it's like, you were just up in the office 20 minutes ago. Right. Um, <laughs> it's a really cool thing that I think Loris has brought to the community. We're lucky. <laughs> lucky do Hawks. It's as if we never left. <laughs> well, thank you again, Brenda, so much for being on the show with us today. Uh, and for our listeners, don't forget to mark your calendars for the 12th of every month where we will be introducing the newest member of our Duhawk Dozen. You can visit alumni.loris.edu slash Duhawk Dozen to learn more or to nominate a Duhawk today. Thank you to the Young Alumni Advisory Board for sponsoring this podcast. Go, Go Duhawks! Duhawks.